So we're about to come to the end of this Come and Go series. We've been calling it Come and Go, right? A lot of you guys have joined us. I think this is week nine or maybe week 10, but either way, it's been going on for a while. Um, and, and what we've been looking at is this, is this recurring theme in the Bible. You know, God said to come to him and then go and do as he commands. Jesus said, come to me and I will make you, right? I will make you and then go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, at the same time, We've been talking about the things in this world that we think uh, tempt us to uh, be distracted, <laughs> tempt us away from the things of, of God, the kingdom of God, the promises of God, uh, to lure our eyes and ears and even hearts off uh, and away from our purpose. Each one of you has a purpose from God individually, specifically, just so you know that if you don't know. And if you do, be reminded today, everybody's got a design, a specific from our Father in heaven. And I think that this year might be a perfect chaotic example in our lives uh, that all around us are storms of confusion. Is that true? <laughs> uh, the politics stuff, virus, if anybody's not heard of that, uh, masks and... <laughs> And isolation, really, I think a lot of us are being forced into isolation or feel that way. Um, division, certainly, riots, fear, finances. And uh, what we've been talking about, too, is that these trials have put our faith to the test, right? My faith has been put to the test. I think it's exposing what we're really made of, uh, what we're really made of here. And uh, we've been asking who am I a disciple of? Who are you a disciple of? And more specifically, what are you being discipled by, right? This definition that we've been kind of leaning into is a disciple is someone who accepts, right? Got a lot of senses to accept and then assists in spreading the doctrine, the teaching, the beliefs of another. And uh, I think that we are being discipled by stuff other than Jesus, even if we are being discipled by Jesus. That's just a reality I think we, we can accept, uh, at least in our past. And uh, if we're paying attention, I think it's exposed who we follow first. Who we follow first. Like, am I a Republican or a Democrat first, or am I a follower of Jesus? That's a real question uh, when we have some, some turmoil. Um, whether we're more committed to a political party, you know, or another group or a friend group or uh, some kind of subset in our culture or the kingdom of God. Uh, really, if we're being discipled by Jesus, his truth, his word, his presence in our life or, or the news, <laughs> you know, or the news. And so a good exercise I've been using recently is just to sit down, find some quiet, if you have any of that in your life or a space that you could get it or borrow it for a little bit, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, call me crazy, maybe even 30 minutes, and just sit, just sit in silence and see where your soul drifts to, right? See where your mind takes you, what kind of thoughts start popping up, and don't ignore them, pay attention to them. I think it's too common that we're, we're captivated by this bad news, it's easy to pay attention to. Um, sometimes I think we even, we make the future our fears. Is that true? We have these fears and all of a sudden they become our future instead of making God's promises our present right here. So that's what we're trying to do. I love it. You guys are into it today. It's exciting. So we're called to take every thought captive. Is that true? Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, to Christ. 
That is eternity, and it is your identity. As a child of God, that is what truly is your identity. But how often am I or are you a slave to our circumstances? This is convicting. Listen, I'm not asking you anything I don't ask myself. A slave to our circumstances, if you get a visual, chained to our fears. Chained to our fears, our worries, complaints, conflicts, relational conflicts. But this verse about making every thought obedient to Christ also says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Like that, that's your birthright. So I'm hoping that this morning I can be reminded that you can be reminded of your rightful claim to eternity. To call us back to this narrow road, (laughs) this narrow road, lift our eyes from what people may be saying and set our hearts on the hope of Christ, the promise and king that is Jesus. Can you say Jesus with me? Jesus, yeah. So I think that our call as the church, as Christians, is to be setting the narrative, setting the narrative instead of being upset by the one that's being sold to us. Right now is as good of an opportunity as there ever has been, at least in my lifetime. to have hope unshakable because of our identity in Jesus. A peace that does surpass our understanding. The presence of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is here guiding our lives and comforting our hearts because it's true. And then being lights shining, lights shining in the midst of a confused and a dark and a lonely world. People need your hope. A world that I think, if we're paying attention, is starving for truth and authenticity. Starving for it. Like, just be real. Well, here's some truth, you know? Uh, And while I think we feel at times so overwhelmingly that there's nobody or nothing to count on, like, oh, what's reliable? To be accountable to our, to your holy identity. I think... It's a, it's a bit of a valley of spiritual blindness right now. <laughs> and instead, in response, we can demand a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's, that's what you're made to do and to lead the way as people who are free, who are truly free. So this morning, we're gonna talk about uh, legacy. Everybody say legacy, if you would, please. Legacy, it's a good word. Uh, and what it looks like to be fully invested, all in, sold out, uh, here and now to our eternal identity. Um, I wanna go straight to 2 Corinthians 9. I don't think we're gonna have anything up, so you just have to pay closer attention. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, or she, of course, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, say all grace, all grace grace abound to you, so that having all, you guys can go ahead and and all, there's a lot, all sufficiency in all things, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's like, that seems pretty Conclusive there, all grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, so this reap what you sow is 
a truth that's throughout Scripture. I mean, you find it in Job, in Proverbs, in, in the Psalms, uh, all through the New Testament. And it's not about this command to give a specific amount, right? Let's not, let's not get too religious here. But it does underscore the fact that God provides a lot of opportunities to give and give generously of yourself, of what you've been given. And it does have a direct impact on your life and my life experience, directly impacted by the impact that we have on the kingdom. So here's the other truth that all of us are planting some kind of seeds, spiritual seeds we're talking about, right? You can't see them when you throw them necessarily. All of us are planting some seeds, but what kind of seeds are we planting? That's what we're asking. Um, And it parallels to to this idea we've been talking about for like 10-ish weeks, right? What you accept, uh, accept, you assist in. What you accept in, you assist in spreading. The mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart, right? That's what the Bible tells us. And so it's this overflow, if you will, and your life actually grows a spiritual harvest. It's a good visual if you can, if you can get it. This spiritual harvest that is enjoyed out of the overflow of what you've planted, out of what you've sowed, sowing is the spreading of these spiritual seeds. It's a picture in almost everything that has life. A couple verses from Proverbs 22 says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. The next verse says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. For he shares his bread with the poor. And so we've also talked about how you see what you let in through these God-given lenses. How you see directly impacts who you will be. For yourself, your family, your friends, the world around you. Jesus said in Luke 11, this is one of my life verses, I would say, among others. (laughs) Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. I think we need to check ourselves sometimes. How are you seeing these circumstances today? Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness, lest you think what you're letting in is true and good and useful. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So this is just one example of what we let in. Your light, your lamp, your eyes, what you let in, how you perceive things in this world changes how you live and how you can be to other people in this world. And so uh, we've been looking at this cyclical thing over and over, this seasonal kind of picture, these spiritual truths, how they impact our physical and mental and emotional and relational well-being. It's a convicting thing, I think, especially now, Galatians 6, let's go there. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, say always, always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. 
So let's not get tired of doing what is good. If you hear anything this morning, maybe that's it. Don't, don't get tired. I know it can get tiresome, but we can encourage each other. We can energize each other, right? Don't get tired of doing what's good. It's, it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. And it says the next verse at just the right time, just the right time. God's time is perfect. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's a promise. That's a promise. The next verse, so then as we have opportunity, opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Okay. So I think we can see this play out in every single aspect area of our life, right? Like our eating habits, (laughs) our finances, our relationships, our marriages. Like if you do push-ups every morning like I do, your muscles are going to grow. She knows. My wife knows I don't do push-ups every morning. That's why she's laughing. (laughs) But if I were to, you know, my muscles would grow. Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. (laughs) And if you eat cake and ice cream every night, something else will grow, right? Or some other things. It's true. It's true. (laughs) So let me ask you, what kind of seeds are you planting? What are you spreading? I know for me personally, a lot of times I'll get in a rut and I know exactly what I need to do to get out of it. But I would rather complain about being in it than do the things that I need to get out of it. That's just true. It happens to me all the time. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. So what have you seen? What are you seeing in your life? What have you seen in the past reaped because of the fruit of your labor? Sometimes that's encouraging and it, it, it at least points you in the right direction, I think, right? And so before we start judging ourselves, let's look at what our motivation is for being generous and where our sowing comes from. Can we do that? Like how we can grow in this generous sowing as disciples and sow into others to make more disciples. So I think the first one that I want to look at is that we must become generous people. We're not born that way. If anybody has young children or has had, (laughs) you're not born generous, you know? You're not born knowing how to share and put other people first. Unless, I mean, somebody might have been in here. I haven't seen it yet personally. (laughs) So I think our generosity flows out of remembering, out of knowing and being reminded what Jesus has done for us personally. That's a requirement. So I want to read this story of a woman who gave her best and everything she had. Not easy to do. It's in Luke 7. Uh, Jesus is teaching. He's like in the middle of, of this pretty awesome period in the Gospels. And it says that one of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious type, I guess, asked him, that's Jesus, to come and eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. I love Jesus. He's so baller. And behold, it says, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, a really, really expensive bottle. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Picture this. This is an uncomfortable scene. 
she's weeping and washing Jesus' feet with the tears falling from her eyes. <laughs> and then wipes them with the hair of her head. And then kisses his feet and anoints his feet with oil. Does that make anybody else uncomfortable? <laughs> if somebody did that in my house, I'd be like, what is going on here? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. He should know better. That's what he's saying. This woman who is touching him, for she is a sinner. It wasn't long before Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. They weren't paying attention. And Jesus said to him, this is not a good start for Simon. This is not Peter. This is a Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus begins his parable. He says, a man loaned two people money, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another. But neither one of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debts. And then Jesus asked, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, well, I suppose it was the one for whom he canceled the larger debt, the 500, not the 50. And Jesus says, that's right. That's right. And then he turned to the woman, the woman weeping, washing with her hair, kissing his feet, his dirty feet. And he said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a, a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And then Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. See the order there. Have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little bit of love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. So this, this woman gave everything because she was forgiven everything. <laughs> Simple gospel here. Now listen, what she was doing was totally improper, totally inappropriate. She shouldn't even been at that house. She's not invited. She's not supposed to be hanging out with that kind of company. And, <laughs> and she does this embarrassing thing. She's being mocked and ridiculed for it. It took great courage for her to do that, I promise you. And the faith that she brought resulted in the forgiveness that she got. What she brought ends up being what she got. It, there's a proportionate thing there. Because Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Isn't it interesting? Jesus doesn't say, I've, I saved you. He says, your faith <laughs> has saved you. It's your faith. And the great love, this is what Jesus says, that she demonstrated was a result of knowing, realizing, accepting how much she'd been forgiven. When we accept that, we can start assisting it, right? If you don't know how much you've been forgiven, how, how do you forgive people that much? So when I'm in a place personally where I recognize I'm lacking compassion, 
It doesn't happen very often, once every five or 10 years or so. Uh, <laughs> or, or so, I said, you know, not getting specific. When I recognize I'm lacking in compassion or a little low in the love compartment, I realize that I have forgotten I need to be reminded how much I've been forgiven, how much compassion Jesus has given to me, how much love he has poured out on me. And so I do sit in silence, sometimes in worship, sometimes in a room that's pitch black, sometimes outside looking at nature and letting tears come to my eyes. I sit and I contemplate and I let those thoughts come. I don't ignore them. I capture them. I make them my captive and I make them obedient to Christ, to the promises of God, to the reality that I've sinned a bunch and they're all clean. It's all been clean. I think so often the recognition of the grace of God in my life, seeking first the kingdom of God, knowing that then all else will be added to me. That's a promise. I can count on that. The recognition of the grace of God in my life as my primary reality, sowing in thanksgiving and gratitude results in what comes out of me. Then what is reaped in my life from people around me, everywhere that I go, but it takes work. I've got to keep on sowing. And so I'm reminded then, I don't give up. I am not one who shrinks back because God tells me that's not who I am, but I live to please the spirit of God in my life. And then he guides me. And then we change the environment around me everywhere we go because I take him everywhere. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He has more love to give. It's good news. So let me ask you, if you would, let me, do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know? Do you know? Because I think a lot of times we pay attention to what we've done and we let shame creep in and guilt creep in. Oh, yes, but Lord, I did this. But he, he says, that's what I died for. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And so when we think of those things, we capture those past sins and we make them obedient to the new identity, the, the new life <laughs> that we've received and that Jesus died for. That is the promise and we can have peace because of those promises. Is that true? Then we run the race with energy that Christ Jesus flows through you. That's in the Bible. Christ Jesus flows energy through us, going after it, rejoicing in it, fixing our eyes and our hearts upon it. It's the recognition of immeasurable value. That's peace that surpasses understanding. I can't even measure it, but I know it's big. I know that it's worth everything. Matthew 13, 44, this was popped up on my heart this week. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Treasure hidden in a field. The Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings and queens to seek it out. It's hidden for a reason. It's worth searching for and seeking. A treasure hidden in a field which a man found. Okay, he found, I don't, I don't imagine that he just tripped over it, but he found it. He covered it up. They used to bury treasures in the ground all the time back in those days. They're still finding some of them to, to this day. Like, I need to bury this. Then in his joy, say his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. 
to go back and buy that field. That's the recognition of immeasurable value. So first we learn from God directly. We come to him, we let him in, we accept that. We recognize its value and it starts to take root in our lives. And then we grow fruit in abundance. It's not just for us, but this generosity flows out of an inward transformation. Sometimes we focus on, well, what do we have to do out here and out here? But it flows from what happens in here, what we let in here. Well, one and a half miles, one and a half miles to go. That's good. I should just sit here and rock all day. I hit that goal in no time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so listen to this account, if you, if you would. I am getting some exercise. Who needs push-ups, you know? <laughs> okay. So uh, I've been led back to the book of Acts a lot this last couple of weeks, and um, I want to read a couple of things out of there, but uh, this is in Acts 2. Uh, it's like the day of Pentecost. Jesus has died. He's risen. He, he came and spent time with some of his people. He has just ascended back into heaven. The Holy Spirit was poured out, right? And then Peter gets up publicly and tells this group of men, this crowd, you killed Jesus. And here's who Jesus was. That's, whoa. And it says, I'll pick up in the passage, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Change your ways, change your mind, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now listen, this is Peter, Shortly removed, shortly removed from plainly and repeatedly denying Jesus. This is the Peter that just bailed on his king, on his savior, on his friend when he's getting nailed to a cross. Same Peter, same Peter. How much do you think Peter must have had to know that he was forgiven? to tell the very people that had Jesus killed to repent and be forgiven. Come join us. Come join me. It's this recognition, this Peter's recognition of his depravity. <laughs> it says that those who believed, who believed what Peter said were baptized out of the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The Peter had intimately experienced God's grace abounding in his life, in the face of his flaws and his failures and his fears. It was fresh and it was raw. He was scared out of his mind. When I was trying to picture this, I'd see Peter in that room just shaking and sobbing, filled with shame and guilt, fear. His whole world just fell apart. Jesus is dead. But then he comes back and he's like, do you love me? Of course he knows that Peter loves him and he's forgiven. The Holy Spirit pours out and he's saying, go, go, send this message. And here Peter just says it to the people that killed Jesus. You can be forgiven. So when we think, oh man, I don't know, because I did that, can I be forgiven? The people that killed Jesus Christ were forgiven. Do you get that? This is good news. He caught a supernatural understanding, appreciation 
of God's love. What Jesus actually accomplished. The all-encompassing forgiveness. Jesus, his heart busted, his side pierced, mocked, flogged, spat on, his blood poured out for the whole world, for the forgiveness of the whole world. God in the flesh nailed to a tree. And Peter's like, wow, what? This mind-boggling realization that it wasn't for a few, for a select number of people, but was so much bigger and better and greater. It was the realization of his forgiveness personally that allowed him to see it was for all of humanity. And I think if we continue to be reminded of that, we'll walk around with a little more joy in our step. So as a result, 3,000 came to Jesus to receive this amazing love, forgiveness, and power. And look what happened next. The very next verse, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what we're doing here. That's why we still gather here. And awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. And many, say many, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all, say all, come on. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Who's ahead of somebody else in this church? Let me answer you. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody is. That's not what the Bible tells us. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, come on, day by day, every single day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Maybe see your food a different way. Take a bite. Oh, I received that. Mm, I'm th- mm, that's good. I received that. Thank you, Jesus. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who were being saved every day. This, y'all, was a large-scale revival. I mean, come on. And it was led by unity. These are requirements. Unity. And awe, being together and being together in awe of God, the reality of God's generosity and goodness. And I'm here to say, church, it's time for it to happen again. It's time. Are you ready for that? I mean, do I, do you, do we recognize the power of the love that has been poured out over you, over us, the magnitude of what you and I have been forgiven? It's real. The greatness, even in trials, of what we have gotten from Jesus. And here's the truth. When enough of us have these personal revivals, hey, if it's something you know, be reminded again. Come on. We don't remember very well. When enough of us have personal revivals marked by repentance, led by God's kindness, grasping out for, seeking, knocking, asking, right, and receiving, dying to fear, dying to fear, rejecting the deception of hate, knowing to the core of your soul, no matter what happens, no matter what people say, heaven forever is the promise of your fate. Heaven forever 
Heaven forever. And Jesus says, kingdom come, your will be done. Now, not tomorrow, today, here, now. It's that kind of heart cry. When revival fills us, marks us, revival will flow out of us. That's God's design. When we're overcome by it, it is what comes out of us. It's the life of abundance. Listen, the life abundantly that Jesus said, that's what I came for. I came for that. An abundance that actually can't be contained. You don't have enough capacity to hold on to that, but you can be filled up with it and flow out everywhere you go. It bursts from your heart, just like our Savior's heart bursts and it flows out God's miraculous love. It's the truth. It's the gospel. And everywhere we go, everywhere you go, you bring supernatural change just by being there. So don't think, oh, what do I have to say? He said, don't worry about what you have to say. Where should I go? He says, just as you go, I'll be with you. Keep receiving, keep being transformed internally, and you'll change everything, everywhere you go. This is revival. This is revival. And I just want to remind each other, it starts with you, and it starts with me. Us individually, it's my prayer hope, it's my dream. It keeps me up at night when this is our collective heart cry when nothing else is what we'll settle for. Nothing else. Forget the haters, (laughs) never mind the naysayers, persecution, probably, yeah, hardships, of course. Yes, it's a promise. I wanna rejoice one day with all of you in heaven knowing that we never gave up. We did not give up, we kept going. We didn't give up, we didn't settle, we didn't lose hope, but we dreamed. We dreamed again in the middle of tough circumstances. We cried out. We laid down our lives and heaven heard our shouts. That's how shouting, I want to be in this place. Shouting. God says he'll hear, not just passive contentment, not just playing church. Come on. Uh, not just, I, what, I mean, if God wills it, but being willing to die. Listen, being willing to die. You don't have to be with me on that. I'm just saying, that's what I'm about. I, we, we, that's what we can do, being willing to die. It's okay if you're gonna live forever. It's all right. You don't have to get it here. I'm just tired. Like, I'm tired of talking practically as if God is dead. I'm tired of, of talking practically as if God is not still doing miracles, that if we seek him, we won't find him, that if we ask, it won't be forgiven. I'm kind of tired of it, you know? Like, let's start thinking and living supernaturally, please. Just this last week, I was, I was sitting down with a, a man of faith from around this area. He said, well, you know, I was like, man, I'm here for revival. It's like, well, well, what's revival? And I'm not like, I'm not dishonoring this person, but it's like, well, we don't seek, you know, signs and wonders. We don't, what we need to do is help the poor. And I'm like, what do you think the poor need? What do you think the poor need? Uh, like a better welfare program? I'm serious. Or a miracle from the one and only living God in heaven. What do you think they need? Jesus died for this. The spirit of the living God was poured out on all flesh for this, for this. And I want to ask, who wants it more, us or evil? Who wants it more? I think too many churches don't want to mix it up because it might get a little messy. 
don't want to talk about the devil because he might get angry. Can I tell you something? That coward is already angry. You hear me today? He's already angry. Our God is in heaven. Our Jesus is on the throne. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. Personally, I want to see evil whipped with my own two eyes. I do. I do. I want to see evil bound rolling around on the ground in spiritual straitjackets. Do you know you have that power within you? Muzzled, silenced, exposed, demolished. These are truths in the Bible. I want to see freedom flood these streets. Milton, Wisconsin, Rock County, Janesville, Cross Point. Undeniable encounters with the Spirit of God. Do you think, people, that God doesn't want that? And when we're stuck, listen, I get stuck remembering God's promises, reminding each other he came for sinners and saying, Jesus, kick down the wall, kick it down, kick it down, get it out of the way, get this thing out. You told me to do this. I'm here to do it. Kick it down. I want to see fire fall from heaven. I'm telling you, is there a wall? Come on, fire, call it down. It's in the Bible. God asks us to do it. We can. Just believe that right here and right now, it's not the time to shrink back. And that's the easy thing to do, to divide, to go our separate ways, to take a few months off. Everybody needs a break. I'm just saying, now is not the time to shrink back not the time to think small. It is the exact time to dream big, to pray constantly, to sing praise right now, right here, to strengthen those wobbly knees, y'all. To lift those drooping hands, to be in awe of God every day, constant awe. And let the wisdom of this world and the fear of man die in us all. Die. Two chapters later in Acts says all the believers were united in heart and mind. How hard is that to do in church these days? I think it's hard to do when we don't realize none of us have deserved it and we can all receive it and it is for everybody and anybody. And what I'm sharing is what I believe God is speaking right here and right now, calling us to be united in. I needed just as much help as you do. Trust me. It says they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. They testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Nobody needy. His people were bringing everything they had and giving to those in need. I'm not saying sell your house. I'm saying it's worth everything. And we have to be united or it doesn't work. And these people weren't guilted. Bless you, by the way, Brian. 
They weren't guilted to give by religious leaders. It's not what I'm here to do. They weren't obligated to give by these religious traditions. It's not what we're talking about. They were eager for more of God. They were transformed from within by what they had experienced. It was like, here, this is what I got. This is what I have. How can I help? Man, this is worth it. I've been given a lot. God is so good. Giving was and is supposed to be an expression of what was happened or what has happened on the inside of you. That's what it is. I give because I was given. It's the same cyclical seasonal stuff that we're talking about. The realization of everything that you and I have been forgiven and letting our giving come from a transformed life, not a religious act. The truth is, it's not like giving as a religious act can't be used for good, right? Or giving to get a tax break. That's a nice perk. But if you're giving for the tax break, it's not like it won't be helpful. (laughs) But that giving as a result of this inward transformation does something that's so much bigger and exponentially larger, greater than giving out of some kind of religion. Not giving to get recognition or new stuff, but to transform an entire region, to pour out God's love and to show, to demonstrate his generosity. And here's something I don't think these believers knew. There was a legacy that they're leaving behind that we're talking about to this day, 2,000 plus years later. I don't think they knew that. I don't think they knew that. I don't think they realized their generosity were the seeds for Christians for thousands of years to come. We are still reaping from that harvest. We still are, and we can add to it. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) I think you know that. But what I do know is that we should never give and we should never serve out of a religious duty or obligation. That is not what saves you, and it's not going to do you any good. Don't do that. Give and serve out of a response from this inward transformation. And if that's where you're at, get it first, you know? We all need to keep those cycles going. And then we get to this point and say, God, my life is yours. (laughs) You got everything. Take whatever, because I got nothing without you. Here you go. Jesus, I'm yours, man. Thank you. Thank you. Because you know what? His plans are good. (laughs) His plans are good. He wipes every tear from every eye. It's not easy all the time, but it's always worth it. And it is true. It is true. So I think then we learn how to use this generosity at first, it's kind of like, oh, we're just, <laughs> woo! That's, that's what I was like, at least, you know, everywhere, everywhere. I had to hear God's no before I really started to hear his yes. I was just running around, giving anybody everything. Letting people stay at our house. My wife's like, what are, we, what are you doing? That's true. Um, <laughs> but out of this newfound generosity, you know, we give sacrificially. I just want to read this quote. It's interesting, if nothing else. Uh, from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Amazing, amazing book. This is convicting to me. Um, so I almost didn't read it. <laughs> but here we go. Uh, I, d- 
I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Where's the faith? In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities' expenditures exclude them. For many of us, the great obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living or desire for more money, but in our fear, fear of insecurity. This must often be recognized as temptation. Sometimes our pride also hinders our charity. And we are tempted to spend more than we ought to on showy forms of generosity and less than we ought on those who really need our help. And so uh, we have a chance to do this here. You know, we're trying to give opportunities. I don't want anyone to feel pressure. That's not the point at all. I just, I want, I want us to, to dig deep in our faith and in our hearts, and we want to make a supernatural impact on people around us. People deserve to, to see God's love and generosity. Who else but from God's people, <laughs> you know? And I think in, in a year that really it probably should make it harder to give this year, um, I still believe we can show the world that our God is bigger than our circumstances. I think it's a perfect time and that he loves and sees people that are struggling. I just believe that. So um, like has been done, I guess, the last couple of years here, uh, we're going to do uh, this legacy offering. Um, we're going to take it on December 6th. If you want to do it before or, or after, I think we'll take it through the end of the year. But I just want to give you an opportunity to, to an awareness to know, hey, would you pray about it? Would you pray about it? We want to bless the people in our community, our neighbors. And it's, we're, call, we're calling it the legacy challenge, I guess, legacy challenge, uh, to give over and above the regular tithe. And we're going to give away 100%, 100%, not 90, not 20, 100% to the local elementary schools. It's cool. It's cool. Anybody appreciative? Of, of teachers? I mean, come on. Elementary school, they're teaching our next generation. How tough is it to be a teacher this year? It's tough. Oh my gosh. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, not doing that, maybe doing this. What's happening? It's crazy. And so we're going to uh, raise that money. We had a legacy video, uh, but we're going to post that online because since Wi-Fi is out, you can call Spectrum if you want. I already did this morning. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's a cool video. Uh, I think Joe interviewed, somebody interviewed some of our uh, kids in this church and uh, what? Amber, awesome. Amber, you're awesome. Uh, Talking about their teachers and their thankfulness uh, for them. And so um, we're gonna try to pull this together in December and then hopefully deliver that sometime in early uh, 2021. I just think it would be an amazing way to bless those people and uh, give them a surprise that I think certainly they deserve. And uh, all I'm asking you to do is pray about it, um, not be forced. We're not keeping track. <laughs> we just want to be a blessing. 
Um, yes. So, our stuff, money, time, it doesn't last forever. The impact of the kingdom, it will and it can. Um, we're not going to end with a, with a song today because um, we're already there at the time, but uh, stick around if you want. And we're going we're gonna to have the prayer team come up here at the end. Uh, if you need prayer, please uh, don't be ashamed to come up and get it. Uh, these are amazing people uh, on the prayer team, trained up, ready to go, prayed up. And uh, if you need prayer for any reason, even if you want it from six or eight or 10 feet, that's totally fine. They're gonna come up here. Um, I'm gonna read this last scripture and I got a couple announcements. Proverbs 11, this one, the Lord just put on my heart this morning. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing, will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. That's the cycle. 